I don't know how many of you ever been have ever flown on an airplane before. How many of you have not flown on an airplane before? Irvin, we've got to get him. We've got to get a plane ride for him, right? And the boys. And the boys. And my boys haven't. So that's pretty good. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Well, as you know, there's a lot of things that have changed here in America here uh, in terms of travel. There's, uh, uh, you really can't even go to an airport airport today without having to pass through some kind of a metal detector and uh, I know you're going to be traveling here pretty soon on an airplane like in Thursday right? Is that right? Go to Madison on Thursday. I fly out on Friday. Fly out on Friday down to Haiti um, and she'll have to go through all those metal you don't have any metal knees or anything like that okay that's good. <laughs> um, they wave this magic wand over you I'm told and uh, they at some point you know they they do that um, and I guess, uh, I guess another thing I've told is that they have uh, an armed U.S. marshal on every single plane, in hopes that there's, you know, <laughs> in hopes that there's nobody else that's armed on that plane as well. But it's, I think, it's the nature of what we've tried to do to try to make travel safe here since the days of 9/11, and uh, you know, when it really became apparent when what could happen in the midst of travel that's it's really a kind of a hazardous thing this travel thing right um, maybe you heard the story here is a couple years back of uh, the three Americans who were leave they were on actually uh, a couple of them were on leave from the military and uh, they they met together with another friend of theirs and they were going uh, across decided to travel across Europe and uh, as well as it happened they were on a train from Amsterdam and, and heading to Paris and all of a sudden this gunman, this Islamic militant, showed up in their car with this assault rifle and immediately, it's just an amazing story, remember the story? Immediately they just sprang into action, they just, it was like, do it now. They sprang into action, they, they overpowered this gunman, they stopped him, they tackled him and um, prevented him from killing those who were on board and it's just, but it's just hazardous duty, this travel thing, I think. Um, a few years ago, this is true, there was, there was a Christian couple, they were moving across the United States. They had all of their worldly possessions packed in a U-Haul trailer, or actually U-Haul truck, and they came out on one particular morning from their motel to discover that the, uh, the parking lot was empty, that uh, their truck was gone, and that everything that they owned, I mean, just gone. <laughs> it, I guess it's the risk of travel you know, these days. Well, we're going to be looking at some travel psalms, travel psalms, and uh, that's what we're going to be getting into, uh, Psalm 120 through 134. We're going to be looking at a few of these psalms in the weeks ahead. Uh, this is, uh, I, don't, I don't know that we're going to hit every single one, but we want, to, we want to work our way from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. It's really a, just a collection of psalms from chapter 120 to 134. They're called the Psalms of ascent, uh, or, or the songs, if you will, of ascent, because they are, are to be used for that journey from wherever you lived all the way up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem being the higher point, and so as they climbed up to Jerusalem, as they ascended, they sang these particular songs, particularly those three feast journeys that they took during the year when they would make their journey from 
from their homes to, to Jerusalem, these psalms, they actually became their songs. And it became, it became their travel music, if you will, to, uh, as they journeyed towards Jerusalem. Now, you know that the book of Psalms is a, is a book of, well, songs. Um, it's a Hebrew songbook is really what it is. It's, it's really not one book. It's five books that have been creatively numbered, one through five. And, and, and this particular song actually is, is found in, or this particular set of psalms is actually found in, in book number five. And it's, in fact, those travel pieces or those uh, travel music as they were journeying. Travel music. And I, I suppose that we all have it. Um, <coughs> Real quickly, anybody remember traveling as a young young person? Uh, your parents are in the car, or maybe being the parent, and you had a lot of young kids in the song. What, quickly, what are some of the songs that you sang that that you never ever want to repeat again, but you're going to do it this morning? What's that? Wheels on the bus go round and round, and you just like, uh, uh, okay, yes. Um, hopefully, none of you sang hundred bottles of beer on the wall, but. I think about I think about the bus trips, you know, that and everybody starts every, you know, it's over and over, and you just can't get them to quit. Okay, any other ones? Oh, yeah, that's what we sang. I forgot about that one. To it, zero, hey everybody. Okay, you guys don't know that, but I should play it for you sometime. Any other songs you remember? John Jingle Jingle by? Huh? The song that never ends. The song. Which one's that? The song that never ends. Oh, the song that never ends. You want to, Would you? Could you sing that for us? Don't teach, yes, don't teach that to my kids, okay? <laughs> um, I think of the John Jingle, yes, that one, um, and other ones. I mean, there's just uh, lots of travel things, and you think about some of those, and, and we all have it. It's the stuff that we take. We all have travel music other than those ones. I think we bring stuff with us on the journey, and uh, it's just the music we listen to. And I think that that's really what happens in Psalm 120 through 134, is you just kind of get this distinctive impression that, that somehow we're going someplace. Um, we're we're going to start out in, in Meshach, in the Meshach region in, of distress, and we're, we're actually going to end up in Jerusalem is, is what's going to happen. We're going to go from misery to joy, uh, from Meshach to Jerusalem, and, and we're going to be on a journey, and so in fact... Eugene Peterson calls his book on these particular psalms, he calls it A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Isn't that a great title? A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's the image really of discipleship is what it is. It's the image of going someplace, of, of understanding that this world that we happen to live in isn't where we really belong, that we're actually going someplace else, but, but that we're in progress here. And, and that in itself is just inc uh, an incredible thought. There, there's actually two words in the New Testament, by the way, that, that surface when you think about that, that, I, that issue of discipleship. And one of them is this idea of being a disciple, someone who actually attaches himself or herself to someone, um, someone who attaches himself or herself to a teacher, uh, someone who is in an, an apprentice maybe, Someone who spends time with someone else learning from them. 
And we might be familiar with that a little bit today as we, I think about something that's really popular right now. If you go to the university, is that you can't just graduate and then go into your job. Oftentimes what, you know, depending on, I suppose, the degree, but a lot of times right now what they're really pushing for is to spend a, a couple years uh, on the field, uh, learning under someone else uh, in, in an apprenticeship program. Uh, some of our, uh, some of that. It's the idea really of attaching yourself to someone. I mean, you literally become their disciple. So that's, that's one idea that we have in, in um, for this in, in, the, uh, in the Bible. The other word, the, Im the other image that's used in the New Testament for discipleship is the idea of being a pilgrim. Uh, the words that are used about things are things like this, uh, pilgrim, uh, alien, stranger. And the idea behind that is really that this world isn't our home, that we're really going someplace, that you're, you're really on this journey. But it's, it's the language that's used, uh, for example, uh, particularly in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2, where you get this, this distinct impression that, that we are going someplace and we're not going to be like the world in which we live while we're on this particular journey. And in fact, that's, that's really the point that I want to make this morning out of Psalm 120, and it's really, really, really very simple. We're pilgrims, not tourists. So in case you forget anything today, I, I want you to go home remembering that we are pilgrims, not tourists. Can you say that? That's, is that right? Well, maybe. Uh, I, I hope so. There, but, but I think that there's a significant difference between a, being a pilgrim and being a tourist. Tourists are, are, are very self-evident. I mean, you know, you know what they look like, right? Um, a tourist kind of stands around, they gawk at things, you know, everything in sight, and, and you, they probably have a camera around their neck, and, and maybe, maybe, or maybe it's attached to their belt or something like that. You, you, you look like you don't know what you're doing when you're counting, when, when you're, uh, I've been to Canada enough times, I just got out, of, I, this last spring I went to Canada, I'm just like, I don't, American money? And I know that everybody's looking at me going, huh. That's crazy. What, he, he didn't know what the, I don't know what all the values are and how much more can, I know that, that our American dollars are worth more than that, but can you imagine going to like Europe and kind of going, hmm, or Haiti this next, I mean, it's, it's totally different there. Your American dollars are going to be just astronomically worth a lot more, but you don't know and, and you just, people look at you and they go, you just don't belong. Um, and uh, that's what, what, it, what it is when you're, when you're looking at, uh, when you're thinking about being a, a tourist. Um, there's that sense, there's a sense in which you just don't belong. But then there's the image of a pilgrim. Uh, the pilgrim is there, but the pilgrim is there only temporarily because the pilgrim is going someplace else, right? The pilgrim looks like a pilgrim. They, they look like they're on a journey. They're going someplace else. They have with them just enough to get them where they are going. It's that image, for example, of, of heading uh, to Oregon on a, on, a, on a wagon train. You're going someplace. You're, and, and along the way, if you have to drop some stuff off to get there, then you do that because you realize that the stuff that you're taking with you isn't really all that important. And, and you've got to go someplace. And you're not staying in the in-between. You're, you're, you're headed somewhere. And I think that discipleship is like that. 
It's, it's a pilgrimage. It's a journey. It's, you're going someplace, and along the way, you don't want to get stuck. You want to make some progress. And Paul talks about it in, the, in this way in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. It's that sense of motion. It's that sense of movement. Well, well some, Psalm 120 is about that kind of journey. In fact, it's the opening song of these songs of ascent. This is the first song that they would have sung on their way, Psalm 120. In fact, let's just read it together. Psalm 120, here's what he says. Take a look. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This psalm really unfolds rather simply. The first verse is the cry. In fact, it's, it's the plea. It's, it's, it's his prayer. He prays, God, deliver me from my distress. It's, it's really an interesting image of, of, of being hemmed in. The word distress is sometimes translated as troubles, but, but the idea behind it is really being constrained. It's being in these tight, con, this tight, confining place. It's the sense that there's woe around me, and I'm struggling with it, and it's just kind of it's just like surrounding me and, and hemming me in. And then he turns from this prayer then in, in verses 2 through 4, and he talks about his, his perspective. His, his perspective is very simple, and, and, and that is the Lord is going to take care of this ultimately. He's going to deliver them. And those people who are deceitful, they ought to recognize this. You're going to get what you got coming to you. The Lord is going to punish you, so I, I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm going to give that to the Lord. I'm going to pass it on to Him, and I'm not going to worry about it because it's all in His hands now. And, and, and then in verse 5 and 6, he talks about the difficulty that he's having, that he lives between Meshach and Kedar. He, he journeys in this troublesome land. Uh, Meshach is, is actually up north. It's the land of southern Russia currently today. But this is, a, this is a barbaric land. It's the place out of which the barbarians would come, and, and these barbarians would then try to, or would, conquer Israel. Kedar is down in the south. Kedar is actually desert land. It's the desert region, the hard life. And in essence, what he's saying within this, within this uh, psalm is he's saying, you know, um, I, I live between a rock and a hard place. I'm, I'm between the barbarians and the desert. I'm totally surrounded by the deceptive, and it makes my journey hard. You know, you don't have to be around very long to realize that that is, in fact, the case. That journeying in this world is, in fact, difficult. We, we live in the midst of hostility and distress and trouble, and along the way, frankly, in our journey... In our journey as Christians, we get a lot of mixed signals about what is acceptable and what isn't. Well, I have some signs to share with you. 
if you want to take a look at the screens. These are not overly serious signs, by the way, but they are kinds of mixed signals that sometimes occur. So this first one, here's a, here's a sign, you know, on the top of that sign it says do not enter, and then underneath you've got this entrance only. Uh, mixed signals, by, right, I think, maybe? I don't know. Here's the second one. It's that yellow diamond-shaped sign. And I don't know if uh, this is kind of dark, but I don't know if you can see all that. But yellow diamond-shaped sign. And uh, there's a warning on it that says uh, not a through street, but then look at the, the bottom sign that's on that same one, evacuation route. <laughs> um, okay, that ought to really be helpful, I guess. Okay, check out the third one. Try this one. Here's a, here's a sign that's pointing over to the bathroom. And then the sign underneath, you see that one there? Stay in your car. I think that's going to be hard, right? Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe in your journey if you're not careful. That's enough of them. That's all I have. There's a lot of those, by the way. But maybe in your journey, if you're not careful, you'll end up in one of those places where they have what one man calls dumb laws. You heard some of those? I like this one here. You might end up in Idaho, even, where, catch this, this is one of their dumb laws. If you're not careful, you could really be there a long time, okay? Because the law says, here it is, if two cars enter the intersection at the same time, neither one can leave until the other one is gone. Think about that for a minute, okay? You could just be there really a long, long time. But you know, the world sends out a deal of mixed signal, signals to those of us who are trying to be pilgrims in this world. It keeps trying to tell us that things are not true. It's a deceptive world. We, we live in a, in a world that's really, really kind of complicated. Here's a list of lessons that they teach international students at the University of Illinois that for, for you and me, it, they might seem just a little bit silly. I didn't put them up there, sorry. Number one, go to the bank. Um, I guess that's because uh, international students tend to come with wads of money, like tens of thousands of dollars, and they've got it all wadded up in... You know, and they go to McDonald's and they pull out that big wad and they try to try to buy a hamburger and, and they have no idea how to pay for it because they don't know how, what that money means. Now you can imagine what it would be like in a deception in a deceptive world to do that, right? Uh, they teach them this rule, number two. <laughs> if it's black and has white white stripes, it's not a cat, don't pet it. <laughs> I'm guessing they were teaching that one right for a reason. They teach them this rule. When you're stepping off of a curb, make sure that you look both directions. Because in this country, we drive on the other side of the road. I mean, just simple things. Just simple things to help people along on the journey. Well, there are a lot of worse things that happen to us because... This is, in fact, a deceptive world. We've, we've been tricked into thinking that things really are not the case, and, and the world is doing its, its best to deceive us. In fact, it's been quite successful at times. Um, back in 1879, well, some of you will recognize the name of Margaret Sanger. She was the person who was probably ultimately responsible for the feminist movement in the United States. 
you know, there, there may have been some things that she did that were profitable. There may be some things that she did that were positive. Uh, for example, she made it possible for, for women to, to be able to enter into the workforce. She made it possible for women to have choices to, to no longer be underneath the thumb of society. And she is also the parent of Planned Parenthood. And that's probably not one of the more positive things that, that she's helped us with, among other things that are there. But Time Magazine came out with an article about her that was written, and I'm, I'm sure that it was really objective. Um, hopefully you can see my facetiousness. Uh, quite objectively by Gloria Steinem. And here's what she said. Sanger lived by example. Her brave and joyous life included fulfilling work, three children, two husbands, many lovers, and an international network of friends and colleagues. Indeed, she live, lived as if she and everyone else had the right to control her or his own life. And there is the deception. It is the same deception that has traveled down through the generations to this day that everyone believes that same lie. And that lie is this, that you and I have the right to control our own lives. It's simply not true. And yet that's the culture in which you and I have experienced and that you and I were raised in. We live in a great country. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else but this country. And yet you and I came up underneath this statement, we have these inalienable rights. No, we don't. As soon as that right infringes on the right of someone else, it stops being a right. Isn't that right? What the Bible teaches us is that we have inalienable responsibilities for one another. And yet we have grown up thinking that we get to control our own life, and it's simply not true. It's not even a right, but we've been deceived into thinking that we could. But the world is just a highly deceptive place, and it's really working hard to continue to deceive us, to make us think that some things that appear to be good are really, in fact, good, when you and I know that they're both, we both know that they're not. I don't need to tell you about the influence that pop singers are having on our children. I, I don't even know all the names. I can't keep up with all the names. I, I, I start naming names like Madonna, and it's like, I don't even know that she's even, people think about her, or, or Britney Spears. I mean, that was just like yesterday, and it seems like um, that's one of them, certainly. And I remember the big chaos that was going on, and the schools were worried about Britney and all the influence that they had, and everybody's dressing like her, little girls, you know. And they're putting on makeup, and they're trying to dress like her, and they're, they're, they're trying to fit in and everything. Today, I think, I don't know, I, I don't try to, I think it's Lady Gaga. She's, she's, she's kind of young, and, and, and all these, these icons that people in, are, are, like I said, I don't really know about her much. Uh, Lady Gaga, I guess she was in the halftime show. That's when I turned the TV off. I, I do watch the football game, but as soon as that came on, mm -mm. Um, different channel, uh, Super Bowl. What, what, I, what I can tell you is, is that no matter who that icon is, a lot of our junior high kids, elementary kids, try to mimic these pop stars in the ways that they talk. 
They try to mimic them in their actions. They try to mimic them in the things that they wear. And, and, and in some of it's really provocative. I mean, little, little kids, you just you can't believe it. Some schools, have, like I said, have even been folk, or, uh, forced to stiffen dress codes as a result of some of this stuff. But our young people, and, and here's the point, our young people are trying so desperately to match up to that. And I know that because I see it every single day on the bus, on the school bus. But the, here's the truth. They don't match up. Because what we see in many of these stars and many of these pop icons is, is performance. And it, it's not real. These stars get paid millions of dollars to be who they are. We were never intended to look like them. But we've been deceived into believing that we're supposed, to, we're supposed to look like that. That in this world, if you're not a Michael Jordan, if you're not a classy model, that you are not important. And it's simply not true. And yet the whole marketing business is built upon that particular lie. We live in a deceptive world that is doing its dead level best to make us think that we're, everything is okay when in fact it is not okay. The psalmist says, I travel with a deceptive company. And the psalmist does what a Christian can only do, and, he, and, and, and that is that he cries out in distress for an answer. He turns to the one place that you can turn, the one and only. It's real simple advice. Make sure you're traveling with someone who knows what's going on. So he cries out to the Lord, for an answer, his invitation is make sure that you know who you're traveling with. I just, a friend of mine, just this last week, some of you know when I turned 50. Did I turn 50? Yes. Um, <laughs> somebody know when I turned 50, one of, the, one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to go elk hunting. So we headed out to, uh, to Colorado. Um, there's one guy that I know that I would travel with anywhere but when, when, it, when it goes to, to, to hunting. And that's my friend John. Well, we didn't get an elk. <laughs> Crazy. I don't know what I was thinking. But I always figured, gosh, if I went with him, I got a good chance. And I did. We saw some elk. We saw some of that stuff. Um, but he's, he's one of the guys. There's some other, there's other friends that I would go almost. Because they just are fun people to be with. And they, they know what's going on. And we just have a great time. But, um, and that's really what the psalmist says. Make sure you know who you're going with. And I just want to offer some practical applications, I think, from this passage, Psalm 120, that, that, that I see at least within this. And I, I, I thought I'd start out by just you know, saying, you know, whenever you go someplace, whenever you travel, at least for me, if I'm going to my cabin, if I'm going to visit the in-laws, if I'm going to visit my mom, there's, there's some things that I bring on the journey. You guys bring some things on the journey. One of the things I bring is some, some good travel music. I always like to bring with me some good Christian music to listen to because, frankly, when I, the stuff out there on the radio isn't really always worth listening to. So, so having some good travel music is really important to me. Here a couple weeks ago, Mike and I went up, uh, you know, I went and traveled to, to, went to my uncle's funeral up in northern Minnesota. And he, Mike says that the way, you know, he loves country music. Frankly, I don't know where he gets that. It didn't come from me. It didn't come from Susan. He's messed up. He's a messed up kid. But... He wanted to listen to some, some, some uh, country music, and I thought, oh. 
you know, the guy has, a, you got to help him out a little bit. So we actually did. So we listened to these stations. And I, the interesting thing is that we listened to that. Um, we kind of just went down, talked through the songs, what the message was, and not always good messages. I'm not saying all country music is bad. That's not my point. My point is, is that there's a lot out there that isn't really helpful to us. And I think that that, you know, just kind of going through that and seeing that it was helpful to him and as well as me. One of the things that I've really tried to impress on my kids is this. If you're going to listen to the stuff on the radio, they need to at least balance that. 50%, 50%, kind of. They need to balance that with Christian music so that they can somehow, so they can somehow decipher the standards that the world is trying to offer them with what God is actually offering us. And, and I guess the point is, is that for us, I, I think it's valuable for us to listen to things that are really worth listening to, to fill our minds and our hearts, for that matter, with good, healthy things. I always take books on with me uh, when, I'm, when I'm traveling that, that are worth reading, uh, uh, s- stuff so that I'm not always, if I'm at, when you're at the cabin and it starts pouring down or, or the snowstorm is too bad or, you know, you, you know um, what do you do? I mean, it's the temptation to sit down in front of that television and just watch that the whole time. And I, I, I'm, I could, you get stuck there, and that's so I bring books. You can read books in, instead. And, and once I, I do a lot of reading, uh, studying, and and reading the Bible and things like that. But I, I don't want to be stuck in front of the television. Whenever we're away, if we're we're over, um, if we're gone over Sunday, uh, we always find a place to worship on Sunday. Uh, Sometimes I, when I go to other churches, I love to worship, to, to, to uh, stop by and see what other people are doing. I love to bring some of that stuff back if I can get a chance. Um, but I also want my kids to know how important it is to make worship a priority in, in their lives. Um, and the other thing that I think about when I'm traveling is accountability. And I think about, you know, here soon up, a uh, couple weeks, few weeks deer hunting is you know it's it's fast approaching us and and oftentimes I find myself when I go deer hunting last year was the first time that Mike came with me I uh, eventually I hope Mike uh, Nate will come with but um, I find myself sometimes when I'm doing those things that I'm heading I'm alone and I'm traveling and it's one of the reasons why I spend a lot of time when I'm traveling I'll be calling you guys know that I'm talked with Urban last night um, went to my in-laws and put some gutter screens on, and I'm coming back. And but all those times, you you you're talking. I'm calling people because I want there to be accountability. I spent a lot of time on the phone because I know that it would be easy not to be accountable. And and, and the reason that I tell you all of that is to really focus on what I'm about to tell you. It's about the pilgrimage. It's about this journey, both literally and spiritually, that you and I are traveling on. We need to have good travel music. Now, I don't mean that in the sense of getting some Christian CDs, actually. What I mean is we need to learn how to worship. There needs to be a song that is internal in our lives to, so that you can take that with you any place and every place that you go, so that in your journeying every single day, worship is not something that's foreign to you.
It's not something you do on Sunday. It's something that you do all the time. It's something that becomes your life. And you need to study. You need to get God's word and, and his truth in you so that the world cannot deceive you if you, in fact, know the truth. You need to be accountable because we are vulnerable. Every single one of us are vulnerable to the temptations of this world. We are all vulnerable of being deceived. We need to have people in our lives who can hold us accountable in living the way that God wants us to live. I mean, it's just good travel, travel sense for the journey. You know, they tell me that there's always an armed U.S. Marshal on the airlines now. Somehow that's supposed to make us really feel comfortable, right? Oh, I feel so much better now. I, I mean, if you needed his help, how would you get a hold of him? I mean, is there like, uh, you know, is he in like seat 7A? And I mean, what if he's taking a nap and when there's trouble, you know? I mean, what do you do? Here's the good news. You and I have a travel companion have a travel companion, one who is with you all the time. And you don't have to wonder about what, he's, what seat he's in. And he's the one who said this one day, would you like to have supper? Is this journey of ours, would, in this journey of ours, would you like to sit down? Would you like to have a meal? Because if you would like to have a meal, I would love for you to open the door and let me come in and I will sit down and you and I will eat. He said something like this one day. He said, are you troubled? Do you have difficulty? Because if you're troubled and if you're having difficulty, come to me and I will give you rest. He said something like this. Are you going someplace? I want to go with you. Wherever you go, I want to go with you that you can be where I am. He said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, we're on a journey from misery to Meshach, or from the misery of Meshach to the joy of Jerusalem. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And the only way that we're going to get there is with the right traveling companion and listening to the right travel music and there is one who wants to journey with you and I, and you know that. He wants to put a song in your heart. He wants to put a song in you that, can, that you can take with you anywhere you go, all along the journey from misery to joy. He wants to do that if you let him. His name is Jesus, and he wants to travel with you. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this journey that we are on. We thank you for, um, ultimately, for your presence in our lives. We know that there are things that are out there that deceive us, that are trying to get us off of that journey. And I pray for each of us in this room that you would help us to stay focused, that you would help us to stay true, that you would help us to stay faithful, obedient to you on this journey, that we can move from that deceptiveness of this world into the joy of your presence. And Father, I just pray that you give us strength for that journey. 
we already know that you're going to be present with us. You, we know that your word tells us you'll never leave us or forsake us. We pray for strength for the journey. Help us to be able to, to uh, recognize those things that are harmful to us on this journey. In Jesus' name, amen.